0: What's up, folks? This is the Investor Weekly Update for January 30th. At the end, we've got a little Starbucks hack as they're changing up their rewards program there. And we've got a couple of great articles from Arbor and our friends at Harvard, our joint center for housing studies here. Renter financial distress has been concentrated in high poverty neighborhoods and communities of color. If you're listening on this on the podcast form, check out some of these cool graphs and tables these, the Harvard universe has put together here. If you're looking at this first section, duh, right? Everybody knows that minorities and they kind of call them the people of color here. These are the folks that are typically in the higher poverty neighborhoods and they relied on that government stimulus a few years ago in the midst of a pandemic. A lot of this is duh. I, I think a study like this also re- iterate some of the basics that we know, right? And this is why we invest in real estate, because a lot of this stuff, you don't need to be a rocket science. It's just pure demographics and social economic portions of the community out there, which is why I prefer to invest in workforce housing, because in times of recessions, you know, they typically perform pretty well as people on the high end tend to struggle. Although what this article is saying is during the pandemic the lower end demographics were impacted a lot more. And now it's all in hindsight, it makes a lot of sense because of the service sector workers, the wage workers, the blue collar workers, where the folks laid off and or told not to come into work because of COVID restrictions, et cetera. And this figure shows the emergency rental assistance ex- Assistance was largely concentrated in neighborhoods with the greatest need. Moving on to the Zillow article here, rent slide for third month in a row to close out 2022. Rent growth has been cooling since reaching a peak of 17.1% year-over-year growth in February, which is just unprecedented from 2020 to 2021 coming out of the pandemic. Rents were just on a unsustainable pace, and now it is definitely cooling off. And I will attest to that. Uh, America's demand for housing has waned this year after booming in 2021, thanks to higher costs of rent and generally higher inflation. I would probably probably say very high inflation. People are doubling up their rents or family, pushing up their rent- rental vacancy rate and thereby p- pulling some pressure on landlords to keep rent hikes in check. More of a, like a pullback right? Still, generally, year basis, rents are still going up. Rents slide for the third month in a row, as they're saying, but it's not all distributed at the, the same places. The steepest monthly mar- declines in rent were observed in December in Seattle, Las Vegas, Dallas, San Jose, Washington, D.C. The additions of Dallas and D.C. to the bottom five list show that the rental market weakness is not confined to the West. Rather, it is a broad-based, mostly national slowdown Underway, which I would agree. Of course, you always look at sub markets or markets, which are like places like Dallas. You would call that the Dallas MSA, or within Dallas, you have maybe a couple dozen sub markets. But yeah, generally, it is a broad based monthly national slowdown. The most expensive major markets are San Jose, where typically monthly rent is $3,200 a month, followed by San Francisco, $3,100 a month, in New York, San Diego, Los Angeles. Those all had declines. Some other markets that some of you guys might be interested in, the more secondary markets, Indianapolis, Columbus, Kansas City. If you guys want to check this out, go to the YouTube channel. We have all the graphics for you guys on this. Next article from Yahoo Finance, they're talking about in terms of GDP, US economy grows at 2.9% rate uh, to cap 2022 heading off recession worries. So 2021, the first half, which was quarter one and quarter two of 2022, there the GDP was negative 1.6, then negative 0.6. So that is defining pretty much a recession, although there was always talks about them changing the de- definition. But technically, that was your recession right there. Um, 2022, second half, which is Q3 and Q4, were... and then 2.9% respectively, making this the 2.9% annualized rise in fourth quarter GDP was a little stronger than what we had expected, says US economist Andrew Hunter. But the mix of growth was discouraging and the monthly data suggests the economy lost momentum as the fourth quarter went on. He says, we still expect the lagging impact of the surge in interest rates to push up the economy into a mild recession in the first half of this year. And I would probably agree with that myself. If you guys are an investor with us, you guys are going to be get access to the Open the Kimono report where I go into a lot more detail and really how we're making movements within our operations as multifamily operators and developers now, and also fund managers within the pet fund where we're paying investors 12%, 13% a year, that's at least one percent every single month with monthly distributions. If you guys want to get more information about that, open the Kimono report. Share at least part one of part two, of two parts of it. The second part, we dive specifically into all the deals and give current investors with us a little bit more insights into what deals they're in and some of the other deals that are they that maybe they passed up on, just to give people transparency and you know just to so also allow people to vicariously see what the other deals are doing just so they can be better investors. You guys can join the club today and get access to all that at simplepassacashflow.com slash club. And we'll continue on Arbor's big report here. Was, they did a special report navigating the corrective environment. This first point that they're trying to show is the Fed has stated it will engage in monetary policy that balances the importance of price stability with strong employment to maximize the likelihood of a soft landing. And I, for one, have a lot of respect for the Fed as they're mandated to curb inflation and keep the highs not so high in the economy and not the lows not as low. Basic, basically, keep America from being bipolar, which is their normal tendency in terms of economy, and kind of keep things a lot more consistent. And I think that's an environment where folks like ourselves can invest in a little bit more, not worrying about the highs and the lows, but always be making money off a little bit of spread within the cap rates and interest rates and ultimately expand that with a little bit of leverage and debt. Um, And so we don't have to worry about these ups and downs. And as we go into the next recession, which... Everybody's predicting as being a mild soft landing. We can come out of it and get back right to where it's at with the Fed synthetically manipulate. Again, keep the lows not as low and the highs not as high. Um, here's a chart here consumer price in- index inflation versus the Fed's fund rate. You can see the kind of correlation there. My takeaways is prior to 2022, there really wasn't that much stimulus pumped into the economy sure there was a lot in 2008 but when you look at the dollars put in I mean it was like three or four time fold than in 2008 that was pumped in 2020 and yep that's why the stock market surged folks and that's why the crypto market surged because all that frothy fake money got pumped into the system and now you're seeing the Fed's funds rate taper up to four and a half just the it's been higher but it is certainly the highest unprecedented increase in a couple quarter, six month period that I or anybody has seen ever, which quite honestly broke a lot of models out there. Who could have predicted more than a 2% rate increase within that short period of time? And we're exceeding that. Um, CPI inflation, although the good news is we're off of that 9.1%, 9.1%, and now down to 6.4%. Hopefully, it doesn't peak up again or surge up, and we are just following down from here. I'm really hoping we get below 5 to 4% in the next couple of months. And you look at the one thing that always intertwines with this is the unemployment, and that really hasn't ticked up yet, and you're see- still seeing... What was it? It just said 2.6% GDP growth in the Q4 of last year. My prediction on that GDP growth, maybe it goes to low 1%. And then if inflation can come down to 4% to 3%, hopefully that's our soft landing right there. Next, something that they're looking at here, this is the share of consumers that expect bad business conditions over the next year. Cer- certainly, this is just survey data, of course, right? Means really means nothing, but I guess it definitely sees the sentiment of where people are at. Some people take this as when things are bad, that's when things turn around. And right now, 71% of the people think that expect bad business conditions over the next year. Beyond the ongoing geopolitical tension, several sources of concern are capable of triggering a severe contraction in 2023 such as nuclear war in Russia, although that is a small likelihood of happening, depending on who you ask on the political spectrum, of course. One of these significant risk factors is the stability of consumer activity or impacts consumer activity. But that's always the case, right? What I'm doing, the Kimono reports, just something from what I'm, from my own health, mental health, is I'm taking a quarter-by-quarter quarter journal of what are, what are, like, the blacks, the whites, black swans, right? Yeah, black swans. Black swans, if you're not familiar, most swans are white. The black swan is your anomaly event, such as Putin launching some nukes and creating some instability there. Or pandemic is a black swan event that kind of comes up from nowhere. Nobody could have predicted. There's always several black swans in play, yet more times than not, none of the black swans come into play, if that makes sense. But it's always something where people are always trying to sum up fear porn and doom and gloom and sell YouTube video views. And they use black swans as always a, uh, hey, you better watch, better watch, right? Just like when you watch the news, they always show you murder on the loose in your neighborhood. Stay tuned, right? It's always trying to sell attention. And it's important to have more of a longer term viewpoint of, yes, there's always four to five black swans in any type of environment. And as I tell a lot of investors, 2012, 2015, 16, 17, there was always these black swans that could trigger a trial lower, typically they never happen. And if you really were freaked out, but every little black swan potential out there, you'd never do anything and you lose out on the next best bull run ever. And that's really not a way to play it if your net worth is under 3 to $4 million in my opinion. And that's maybe a reason why those are the people who never do anything. And that's why they're typically never the people who get to financial freedom in the first place. So here's a chart on credit card debt versus, outs- versus personal saving rate. 2020, the savings rate was a lot higher. And that was when things, credit card debt kind of dip as people were forced to stay at home and not spend their money. Obviously, that has changed. So credit card debt has gone up um, and the personal savings rate has gone down. The personal savings rate in the year 2020, the peak was about 35%. And then it, also, it went down again and peaked again in 2022 to 30%. But now we are back to, I would say, normal levels under 10% and actually going even lower under 5%. So the challenge is that we look at how consumers are facing current expenditures. Credit card debt is at all times highs, and we're seeing higher levels of utilization of existing consumer credit lines, even as the cost of revolving credit is significantly higher than a year ago. Worst personal savings rates have dropped off dramatically, reaching their lowest levels since 2005. It's taking these factors altogether paints a picture of consumers quickly drawing down their safety cushion. And part of this is just the inflation, too right? I think people joke what $100 buys you at the grocery store. And in more seriously, if you look at like an apartment PL, all the expenses have gone up to levels that weren't predicted to be with inflation pretty much t- touching double digits for a while there. Just to take one item, line item general, which we'll dive into a little bit more in our Open the Kimono for those of you guys who are investors with us. The general rule of thumb is you underwrite $600 a door for your insurance per year, now that insurance is like 8.50 a door. I don't know what percent jump that is, but that's certainly higher than your average inflation. That's certainly even higher than what was that 9.1% per year. So, and that's just, that's what we're navigating through. And that's just a small item of what the normal United States and possibly even the world population is dealing with also. Now this chart is talking about the rising apartment cap rates. So what, you know, that sounds good, but really it's not. And that means that when you sell an asset, you're selling it based on a cap rate. And if the cap rates increase, that means you get less money for the net net operating income that your, your apartment, or in this case, a business is putting out. Now, this is just all, obviously, this is what it means is this is not the time you want to be selling. Basically, the cap rates have gone up to essentially make the commercial real estate prices come down about 10%, some sometimes 15%, maybe even more in some of the swing, the cyclical states like California, which just means we'll just hold on and things will come back to more of an equilibrium. And if you don't have to sell, heck don't. But nearly half or 48% of the US markets are seeing rising apartment cap rates, the highest since 2010, we can expect that performance trends will continue driven by slow business sectors and evolving patterns, but should come back to that 30% baseline here shown in this Arbor report. Uh, next is talking about share of workers and jobs that are fully on-site, hybrid, or fully remote. I would say the big... Asset class that's being hurt a lot right now is like office space, and then this is the impacts that the folks that are being able to have hybrid schedules or work fully remotely. And the trouble with the office space that I'm hearing is that the taxes aren't coming down, and which is unfortunate for those office operators. Which is why I kind of stick to multifamily because it just I don't think it it's a It's an asset class that is still pretty disruption proof. And what is a disruption? Disruption can mean like a way that the business is being demand or supplied. So take example, office buildings. If a pandemic happens and it shifts the culture of not going into an office, things may bounce back. But that is certainly a disruption where I don't see apartments or housing for people. People always need a place to live especially in the lower middle class. This is talking about the supply coming online, impacting apartments and you single-family home renters. This is the single-family construction starts versus the build-to-rent, all the, the stuff that they call this build-to-rent or build-to-lease. Basically, it's people can't afford houses these days. And the the wealthy are getting wealthier, of course, but the lower middle class is getting even more lower middle class, and the middle class is becoming the lower middle class, and they can't afford to buy things, especially in a high interest rate time right now. Nobody, nothing, nobody. Most people cannot afford anything with seven, eight, nine percent interest rates. Therefore, they're. I'm not going to say doomed to rent. I rent. I've always rented for the as as long as I've understood the price of rent-to-value ratios and all that type of stuff. But most people don't have a choice and we're becoming a nation of renters, at least for, I would say, next, maybe next five years. And it makes sense for those institutional companies to build things just so that people can rent. And you combine this with the trend that people generally want newer stuff and they're willing to sacrifice a little bit of square footage really plays into the build to rent trend although i i am really not really want to getting into build to rent tracks and there's a lot of these turnkey developers trying to get tell us to get into it they're trying to get our investor club but there's just a lot of markup and fees and i've never really found a good deal um, where it made sense to pay one of these turnkey developers. And to me, like we can run the cost a lot better when we just do it ourselves. And when we stick to more of a workforce housing apartment complex, which we wrapped up and we're about halfway leased up there and that 200 unit in Huntsville and we're already foundation is already complete on our next project at Huntsville, the 300 unit out there. um. I don't need any more middleman. is what I'm saying. I can do it myself. And with you guys jumping in on projects like that, allow, allow us to all do it together. A wealth management is saying at a time of uncertainty, investors in commercial real estate are paying more attention to portfolio diversity. They're saying right now there's a dynamic and scenario that there's forming that's caused investors to question everything, including the diversification of capital holdings in probably a way that's never had to do comprehensively before. Some of the planning and diversification is more front and center on a six to 12-month horizon, but some of it is on a five-year, 10-year, multi-decade horizon. Prequin reports that investors' optimism for real estate sector that was prevalent at the end of 2021 has now been replaced with more of a pessimistic outlook, as the Fed is expected to rise interest rates further. In my opinion, half a percent, couple more times. And then going back to the quote here, asset values are beginning to fall and that will likely make 2023 a challenging year for commercial real estate sector, the firm's research notes. Um, yeah, so I'll confirm this. Rates are probably gonna go up another half a point a couple more times. Now, I don't know if this is gonna really impact interest rates, but it's just not a good time to be buying unless you really have a good deal. I really question how people are doing, making the deals work out there. I think a lot of people are doing it just to save their butts because they need money and they need to just do deals just to do deals. And those are a lot of the big household operators out there. I see them close a deal and I know why they're doing it. They need to just stick some money in the bank to save their other deals because in some of these bridge notes, your mortgage might have almost doubled on you. And that just saps away your cash flow. And if you're in a project that's not doing well or wasn't didn't have enough cash reserves to begin with, you're in a lot of world of hurt right now. Now, on the long term, you'll be all right, but is the question is just making it through this temporary period? And I've right now, I mean, I'm maybe if you take an optimistic point of view, I would say it's probably maybe a year to the interest rates get back to normal, and then you can refinance and or sell. As the buyers come back in, I would say on the long, on the more pessimistic side, two to three years. Now, the nice thing about you know residential apartments and commercial real estate is as long as you have enough oxygen, you just got to hold your breath to bridge yourself to, what did I say, one or three years away. But the problem lies when you run out of oxygen, right? You run out of the oxygen. Now you become a distressed seller and you lose money at that point. Dave Lowry, Sr., Vice President and Head of Research, says the market appears to be an economic preliminary phase to readjust to higher interest rates and concerns about lower demand causing an economic slowdown. Investors may well sit on their hands and wait for the market to settle before making any new allocations, while fund managers will need to find agreement on pricing for deal activity to increase. So we talked about this last quarter where we were starting to see the signs of price discovery. Prices have been coming down a little bit, like I said, maybe 10 15% on tops in some markets that we're in. And that's just how it is because the demand isn't as there. Although in the long term, this is would be the time to be buying if you can make a deal work with the right type of financing, which is not available right now. Um, Going back into this article, multifamily and industrial remain the top asset classes for investment in the United States. And meanwhile, there are seen strong opportunities to be one of the leading side of the equation in today's higher interest rate environment because of the demographics. This is providing equity like returns from a historically more stable debt position. So there is a clear desire for better quality assets, regardless of asset class, building a portfolio for the long-term that provides diversification and resilience to market fl- fluctuations is important. So I think what they're, the way I read that is picking up assets that are just strong assets built 1970s and later that are just going to be around for the next 30, 50 plus years um, if you can get them now, if you're in them now, you know, they'll be good once we come out of this uh, soft to mid hard landing and just got to make it through this short haul. And this is the time that I feel like this is where you find out who are the real investors out there who can stay the courts. So, and finally, investors have been diversifying more geographically by focusing more on the sunbelt markets. And there have been more of a gravitational to core and core plus assets in general. So they're talking about two things. They're moving to geographical areas, not the primary markets. So the summed up markets we've talked about a lot, but they're also talking about gravitation to core and core plus assets, which is more of the higher class type of stuff. Also from wealthmanagement.com, Fannie and Freddie are still providing attractive terms, but the demand from borrowers have fallen. So Fannie and Freddie are really the only attractive sources of financing available as all the little small banks and community banks have kind of fallen off the map. So you got to go to one of these big guys. But I would probably disagree with this headline. Fannie and Freddie are still providing attractive terms. I don't agree with that. They're not really attractive terms. You're not able to get the full loan, to values that you once were. And the evaluations, like I said, are a lot lower than it were 10%, 15% lower than what it was in 2021. Basically, we gave up all the gains that we had in 2021 from the market appreciation so Fannie and Freddie Mac have not increased the amount that all they had to all-in fixed interest rates they changed to their borrowers. The their spread still range from one hundred fifty to two hundred basis points over Treasuries, which works out to an all-in rates of five to five and a half percent. But like I said, those interest rates seem good, but the loan-to-values are really low. So this is a very misleading type of headline. In contrast, many banks are currently not issuing new loans and commercial properties, and they're talking about the small community mini banks uh, because they already have enough loans on their balance sheets that the Fed regulators look as risky. Loans from private equity debt funds in turn are less attractive to borrowers than usual. Debt funds are typically offer floating rate loans, and these interest rates are currently higher than fixed interest rates. CMBS loans are less attractive because the interest rates they offer have risen as investor in CMBS bonds demand higher yields. Despite being one of the most attractive lending options left for many potential borrowers, GSEs are unlikely to end up lending as much as they're allowed in 2022. So they're talking about every year, the Fannie and Freddie guys, they have this mandate or goal. They're probably not going to hit that goal, but they're, they're they're not allowing good Terms, the loan, to values is what I'm saying, and yeah, there's a lot of folks, ourselves included, with some bridge notes that we'd love to roll into a Fannie Freddie Mac fix. If the evaluations on the appraisal values aren't going to be as high, where we have the equity, we're going to have to bring money to the table, and that is impractical, right? To come to the table with several million dollars to roll into a Fannie a Freddie fixed loan. Investors who need to refinance loan at the end of their terms may face unexpected challenges, which is exactly what I'm talking. Interest rate for a new loan will probably be significantly higher than expected. However, these properties are unlikely to face serious trouble because property values and rent incomes in the multi-sector have also risen. Finally, Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae are constrained by the affordable housing goals set by FHFA they are required to match every dollar they lend to market rate properties with an equal amount of loans to meeting the FHFA's definition of affordable. Again, these are just mandates. I don't know if, I mean, they have goals. We've seen them overland from from certain limits. And of course, they're going to underland. I don't know if I'm correct in saying the government has goals. They're just goals, right? They and There's not really any teeth to them. At least from the employer's perspective, if you're if you work for Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and you got to get this money deployed, if people aren't lining up to take loans because you're not giving the terms that people that operators syndicators need, then you're not going to be able to lend the money out, um, even though you're telling everybody it's available. That's a uh, half story. But maybe it is a political thing. Maybe they want to say that the loans are out there and they then they blame it on people who they expect them to take the loans. But I'm gonna stop right there because this video is getting a little long. And I'm gonna finish this off with a little bit of a hack for you guys. Just take a little light out of it. Um, in kind of uh these are tough times we're in with interest rates high. Go and get your Starbucks right now, February 13th. The new Starbucks reward program is taking effect. Basically, you used to be able to get a 50-star coffee. And my little hack was I was always get the 50-star coffee with the venti size. That was the biggest bang for your buck. That was worth like 350 360 where I think the 200-star or 100-stars for the latte, which I don't think it's good for you anyway, too much sugar, and then the... The more stars for like the breakfast sandwich like when you compare the dollar to dollar star to value it's just not worth it now you may not be a black coffee drinker like myself but if you are that's the best deal but in february 13th they're inflating all like what the stars are going to be redeemable for basically devaluing your stars by half i don't know this just happens right like just like points, credit card points, mileage points, Starbucks stars and infinite banking like a couple of years ago where, you know, I think there was a 7702 rules. Maybe you could say that you probably the same thing with real estate, right? Like with 2000 and when did I start doing turnkey rentals in 2012? You could buy a property in Birmingham nine hundred thousand or ninety thousand that would rent for a thousand dollars a month Class B then 2015 that same house would be a hundred thousand dollars and would rent for just under that one percent rent to value ratio fast forward to today you can't even buy a property in Birmingham that's Class C plus for that and which is why you see a lot of these turnkey providers having to go to just crap areas like Baltimore. I don't know. I'm sorry if you live in Baltimore or around there, just not a good turnkey market unless you want to deal with D-class tenants in D-class areas. I'll call it what it is. And it's just turnkey just doesn't work. Best time to do it was yesterday, just a lot of these deals. And I think that's why like the sitting out kind of mentality just doesn't work. Doesn't work. Unfortunately, right now, I had an investor saying, looking more for equity growth It's like, dude, that's not the time to be really doing that. Like, this is troubling times where, to me, this is the time where you keep fighting and you keep, you you go into deals that are more stable. And that's why we created the debt fund, the pet fund, which is supposed to go into stabilized deals where we're secure at the best part of the capital stack, high loan to value equity coverage. And we just make a 12, 13% return, 1% a month. Yeah, it's not doubling your money every five years, but Right now, those deals aren't around unless you want to take a huge amount of risk, which again, like as an investor, I look at the risk reward profile. But anyway, like I said, it's tough times. Get your stub before February 13, dump out your stars because in after February 13, when you buy your spouse free coffee on February 14 for Valentine's Day, it'll be worth, you have to pay double the amount of stars for that. But anyway, thanks, everybody's. We will see you guys next week. And if you guys have any feedback for what you guys want to be hearing on the show in the future, do you like the investor news? Do you like more of the long form podcasts? What do you guys want to see on the YouTube channel? Check us out there. And yeah, join the club, investor club, com slash club to get access to the upcoming quarterly kimono report. And we'll see you guys next week.